Our text is found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Only verse 38 is on the wall right now. That's why you need to be reading it in your Bible. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of The harvest, that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And so, as I said, our lesson tonight is actually entitled The Purpose of the Church. And that's what we're going to talk to you about for a little while here tonight. Amen. Let's now put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands and lift our voices. Let's talk to the Lord together. Let's ask Him to speak to our hearts. I need His touch tonight. Can't do this without His help. Let's let's talk to Him, everybody. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. And so, we have read to you this prayer request. We'll talk more about this in a moment. We want to first talk about the setting of this passage of Scripture that we have chosen as our text. Um, This portion of Scripture uh, apparently takes place almost immediately after the choosing of the twelve. All right, now please stay with me here as I explain what's going on. Jesus has just completed his group of twelve to which he is going to entrust this work upon his departure from the earth. And it, um, it appears from Matthew's writing that that this portion of Scripture uh, happens right after he has completed the choosing of the twelve. We're not certain about that, but we are certain, according to Luke's account, that this happened immediately prior to the sending forth of the seventy, something that not as many people are familiar with, but but, uh, there was a time when Jesus sent seventy out. Sent them out two by two to go into the villages and towns and cities. And um, this 
portion of Scripture was definitely just prior to the sending forth of the 70. And so here's what I want you to, to understand. Please note that what we've got here is that Jesus has some brand new recruits. And he is trying to instill in them the purpose of their calling. Alright? You understand what I'm telling you here. It's like you've got a bunch of new hirees at a company. It's a time of training. It's a time of instruction. It's a time of informing them this is what this company is all about. Very few places will just bring somebody in to work and never tell them anything about their job. Just point them to their desk and say, there you go. Figure it out. If they do, probably not going to succeed. Jesus was no different uh, in that he wanted to make sure that uh, the 12 and the 70 all understood their role and their purpose. He's going to teach them. He's going to train them. But the first thing that he does, he begins by example. He doesn't start out by just giving them a lecture. Instead, he says, watch me, boys. Let me show you what's going on. And, and that's where the Bible said in our text, in verse 35, that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Are you with me? So, so he's got these new recruits, and the first thing he does is he says, come with me. I want you just to watch. I want you to observe. And what are they observing and what are they watching? They're watching him go from town to town, from village to village, from city to city, preaching the gospel to everybody that will listen. Now this is a training time. He wants them to understand that this is what he expects of them. He starts out by going about all the cities and villages, teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So he's showing them, this is how we do it. This is what we do. And as he was in the process of training these new disciples, something happened. All right, have you got your Bible open to our text? I want you to notice. So he's, he's training them, verse 35. He's training them. He goes about showing them by example. Verse 30, uh, then verse 36, the very next thing that happens, uh, read for us, Brother Goff, Matthew 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So he's in training mode. He's, he's showing them, this is what I want you to do. When I send you out, this is what I expect. This is your obligation. This is your duty. But as he's going about doing it, 
He is overcome by an emotion. There's a compassion that grips his heart. And he stops teaching. Oh, I feel this tonight. He, he is trying to train them. But while he's training them, he sees something that gets a hold of his heart. And he's got to stop teaching. And all of a sudden, instead of teaching, he issues a prayer request. Read verses 37 and 38. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. The harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. The laborers are few. Pray ye therefore. Pray ye therefore. The Lord of the, the harvest. Lord of the harvest. That he will that send, he forth, will laborers send forth laborers into, the, into, into his, harvest. his harvest. Let me tell you, church, here's what's going on. This was an expression of extreme concern. I'm telling you what he's saying right here. Brother Nelson, what he's saying, he's saying, boys, if you've ever prayed about anything, pray about this. If you've ever felt a burden about anything, can you please get under the burden of what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling right now? There's a multitude out here that's hungry. They want what we've got to offer. They're anxious to hear what we've got to say. They want to feel what it is that's moving in our midst. Oh, men, would you please get under a burden and pray with me? Pray that there will be enough workers to get this job done. Trying to teach. He's got to stop and give a prayer request. I can't go any farther. I can't do this anymore. I can't get to everybody that wants me. I can't touch everybody that needs a touch. I can't teach everybody that needs to be taught. I can't get to every town that I need to take this message to. And I'm looking at those that are following me. And I'm saying there's not enough of us here. There's not enough of us here to get this done. Oh, please help me pray. Help me pray. Help me pray that we can have enough laborers. Do you recognize the desperation behind this request? Now, this comes from Matthew's gospel. Luke chooses to record some things that the Lord said immediately after this prayer request. That for whatever reason, Matthew did not feel led to include. Again, there's no contradiction. It's just additional material. But Luke gives us a little deeper insight into what happened as soon as the Lord issued this prayer request. And when we start reading what Luke has to say, then, then it, it really emphasizes just how desperate Jesus must have been feeling at this particular moment. Luke chapter 10. Turn there in your Bibles. Luke chapter 10 verses 1 through 9. Luke chapter 10 verses 1 through 9. After Read. these... After these things, the Lord appointed all other seventy also, 
and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore he saith unto them, Therefore he saith to them, the harvest truly is great. The harvest is great. But the labors, the are, labors few. are few. Pray ye therefore, Pray ye therefore the, Lord of the, the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. Yeah, now Matthew stops there, but Luke keeps going. Read. Go your ways. Go your way. Behold, I send you forth as lambs forth among wolves. As lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse don't nor scrip nor shoes. Don't carry scrip. And salute don't take no shoes. Man. Don't salute anybody. As By the way. Listen to what he's saying. My, my. Don't even greet anybody while you're going. Read, read, read. And into what silver house she enter? First say, peace say be, peace to, this be house. to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. Yes. If not, it shall turn to you again. Yes. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. Right. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Right. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city ye enter, yeah. and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you, uh -huh. and heal the sick that are therein, yes. and say unto them, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, of God, is, God come is come nigh, unto, nigh you. unto you. Do you understand? Here's what he says to them. Look, I want you to know. I want you to know it's not going to be an easy job. You're going out as lambs among wolves. But I'm going to tell you, I'm so desperate to get you out there doing this work. He said, I don't want you to take any money. I don't want you to worry about the cost. I don't want you to stop and think about anything. I don't even want you to greet anybody as you're on your way. You've got to get under the burden. And you've got to get under the urgency that I'm feeling right now get out there and take this message reach everybody you can reach touch everybody you can touch don't waste any time we've got too much to do oh God I feel this tonight Jesus is saying don't think about anything else just get out there and reap the harvest. Don't get distracted by anything. Amen. Church, I submit to you tonight, there is obviously no greater purpose for the church than reaching the lost. No, I'm going to say that again. There is no greater purpose for the church than reaching the lost. This is not about coming to church and having a good shouting service. That's not why he saved us. I thank God for those times. I love those times. I love to feel a deep move of God. But that's not why he saved us. We're not in the church so we can have a social gathering. Now, 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 now look. This is the greatest purpose of the church. I want you to understand miracles, and I want to see miracles. And I have seen miracles. I believe in miracles. My wife and I were discussing, I, I believe I'm standing before you a miracle tonight. I really do. really believe the Lord touched my body in many, many ways. Uh, while Brother Herring was here with us, and I'm thankful for that. I believe in miracles. And Jesus made miracles 
uh, a part of his ministry. He, he, he allowed for blessings to be a part of his ministry. But never did he say this is the purpose. Luke 19 verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek. The Son of Man is come to seek. And to save, and to save that, which was lost. that which was lost. Listen to me. He didn't, he didn't say I came to heal that which was sick. No, he did that. He didn't say I came to bless that which was poor. Or to clothe that which was naked. All of that's a part of it. But that's not why he came. He came for one reason. He came for one purpose. And somehow the church of the living God has got to get back to that same focus. We've got to understand that's our job. That's why he saved us. That's why he put us in the church. That's why he filled you with the Holy Ghost. He is desperate to see this world reached. You know, there are, there are differences, obviously, in each of the four Gospels. And I've talked some about the approach of each man. And, and, and the, the, the various, uh, you know, we, we talked about when I taught on just the four Gospels uh, many years ago now. But, but talked about it being, you know, like a prism that, that you, you, you hold it up and you get different viewpoints, different perspectives, different colors that are shed through that, uh, through whatever angle that you're shining the light through. And, and, and that's the way the Gospels, each of them showing a different side to Christ Jesus. And Matthew presenting him as, as the king of the Jews. And Mark presenting him as the suffering uh, uh, servant. And, 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 and on and on. Each man showing a different perspective for the ministry of Christ. But I'm going to tell you there's something interesting. That when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and the book of Acts. Every one of those books that talk about the very final words of his life on earth, they all included the same basic message. Every one of those four instances involved taking the gospel to the lost. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So Matthew, Amen. Matthew says that the last words he spoke were go and reach this world. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into go all the world, all the world and, preach, and the preach the gospel to every creature. To every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Yes. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And so here it is again. We get to the book of Luke. Luke 24, verses 47 to 49. And that repentance, repentance and remission of sins, remission of sins should be preached, be in, preached his name, in his name among all, among nations, all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses, witnesses of, these things. of these things. And behold, I send the I promise send the of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And then we get to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, and verse 8 says this, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, 
both in Jerusalem in all Judea, and in all Judea and in Samaria and, in Samaria, and, the and unto part the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm telling you, it all comes back to this. We've got to reach this world. We've got to reach this world. We've got to reach the lost. Just as Jesus' main focus was reaching the lost, so he commissioned the church to follow in his footsteps. He established the church not to fight devils, though we'll have to fight some. But that's not why we're here. He can take care of that. He doesn't need us to do that. He didn't put us here to perform miracles. Although that will be a part of it. He didn't put us here to feed the hungry. Although it's wonderful when we can. But he put us here to reach the lost. Well, hallelujah. Let me show you another example of desperation. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 7. I do not want this to be a series. I want to get this off my heart tonight. And so I'm going to try to keep my eye on the time. Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 7. Listen to this parable that Jesus gives. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, yes. which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out in the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? And they said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. And so here in this parable, we see the same kind of attitude of desperation. As Jesus talks about a man who goes out, Constantly to find laborers. He goes out early in the morning and he hired workers. And he went back about the third hour and he hired workers. And he went out the sixth hour and he hired workers. And he went out the ninth hour and he hired workers. And he went out the eleventh hour. And he hired workers. What would drive a man to keep going back looking for more workers? Why would he do it? Because the harvest is too big. And the laborers he's hired are not 
getting the job done. It's too overwhelming. It's too massive. There's too much to, to be done for those that are already in his employ. He's got to find somebody else. He's got to find somebody else. Why would he keep looking for laborers unless he was absolutely desperate to get this job done? Why was he so desperate? Why was he so desperate? Well, Jesus spoke of the Father by a very specific title. Did you notice what he called him? He referred to him as the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest. No one understands the importance of the harvest like the Lord of the harvest. The master of the harvest. And no one understands like the Lord of the harvest the fact that there's only one opportunity to reap a harvest once it ripens. If the job is not accomplished while the harvest is ripe, it's not going to get harvested at all because those plants are going to spoil and be of no value. If you don't get them, brother self, while they're ripe, if you don't harvest it when it's harvest time, then you're going to lose the entire crop. You don't get a second chance at this. And nobody understands that like the Lord or the Master of the harvest. I'm telling you he looks out at the fields he sees the whiteness of the grain and he says we gotta do it now. We don't have any more time. That's why he'd go back out at the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour because I don't have another chance tomorrow. If I don't get it now we're gonna lose this harvest. I've worked too hard. I've invested too much. I've spent too much time and money and energy trying to bring the harvest to this point. If we we don't reach them now. We're going to lose the whole crop. You don't get a second chance with a harvest. You don't get a second chance with a harvest. Oh, you can plant again. You may lose the whole field. Whatever you can't reap, when it's ripe, is lost forever. I want you to look with me, Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Amos chapter 8. Verses 1 and 2. Listen to what the prophet said. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. 
Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my people of Israel, and I will not again pass by them any more. Now, Prophet Amos was given a vision of a basket full of summer fruit. Now, what does that mean? Now, let me, let me just share with you the writings of a few commentators who talked about this term summer fruit to explain it from the history uh, of the time. Uh, one man said the fruit was the last or the latest harvest in Palestine. When it was gathered, the circle of husbandry was come to its close. In other words, there was not another season of harvest of any kind after this one. This was it. It was the last one. Another man said that the summer fruit is fruit which is soon to perish. Another commentator offered this, that the approach of the threatened ruin is represented by a basket of summer fruit gathered and ready to be eaten, which signified, number one, that they were ripe for destruction. They lay ready to be eaten up. Two, that the year of God's patience was drawing toward a conclusion. It was autumn with them. Three, those we call summer fruit will not keep until winter. It must be used immediately. It was an emblem of this people that had nothing consistent in them. So what I'm saying is that the summer harvest was the last harvest of the year. And that which had hung on the vine until summer harvest was ripe at best. But it was soon to perish. Such fruit is extremely difficult to salvage. Most of it is worthless and good only for refuse. That's what summer fruit is. This is it. You got to get it now. It's your last chance. It's your last opportunity. It's the last time that we have or this fruit will never be any good at all. And I'm telling you that what God is saying and what I feel like God is saying even to this church is that there is a harvest out there that we cannot afford to let it go to waste. We have got to gather it while it is ripe. Now is the time to work on this harvest field. Well, hallelujah. Are you hearing me, church? Are you feeling my burden tonight? Are you understanding what it is I'm presenting to you? We don't have time to play around. We don't have time to worry about what he hurt my feelings. And so and so didn't speak to me. And this one didn't shake my hand. No, no, no. There's fruit out there that's about to perish. And we got to get out there. And we got to get it before it's too late. We got to reach them now. This is our opportunity. This is our moment. We've got to do something now 
How many revivals are going to come and go where the evangelist says, oh, there's a, a harvest out there. There's a harvest. It's here. Revival's here. And we just sit back. No, I'm telling you, we got to get out there. And we got to get the fruit while we can. We got to reach them while we can. We won't have this moment again. We're not going to have this opportunity again. We've got to get out there and do something. While it's still ripe, we've got to do something to gather in the grain. Let's talk about the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal. Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. The Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. He's come to save that which was lost. As has already been pointed out, Christ came to reach the lost. Everything else he did was secondary to that. That was his ultimate goal. To reach the lost. Let's read it again. Matthew 18, 11. We just read it, but let's read it again. For the Son of Man is to come to save that which is lost. The Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. And Luke records it this way. Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Saints of God, do you understand? That our very first commission upon receiving the Holy Ghost is not to run the aisles. Our first commission upon receiving the Holy Ghost is not to pay our tithes. Though we need to do that. Our first commission upon receiving the Holy Ghost is not even... To dress holy. Though we must do that. But our first commission. Our first commission. Upon receiving the Holy Ghost. We read it a few moments ago. But let's read it again. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be, you shall be you witnesses. shall be witnesses. You shall be witnesses. Oh, but I'm too bashful. You shall be witnesses. But I don't know how to talk to people. You shall be witnesses. We cannot ignore the mandate from heaven. This is what God saved you to do. This is what God called you to do. He might bless you to be a singer. He might bless you to be a, a song leader. He might bless you to be a musician. He might bless you to be a Sunday school teacher. But he called you to be a witness. This is your commission. You shall be Witnesses. 
I submit to you tonight. Christ's ultimate goal was not just to save us from hell. But he saved us so that we would become soul winners. That's why you're in the church. Are you hearing me tonight? That's why you are in the church. Whatever else you accomplish is secondary. But your primary purpose is to reach the lost. You don't have to be a theologian to reach the lost. And I'm not excusing ignorance. We ought to all study to show ourselves approved. But I am telling you, you don't have to be a theologian to win the lost. God helped me to win my family when I didn't know anything about the Bible. I hope this is sinking in tonight. I hope this is more than just something that somebody will come and say, well, I enjoyed that tonight. No, I, I don't want you to enjoy this one. I want you to put this one into practice. I want you to do something about the burden that I've got tonight. I want every one of us to walk out of this place understanding I've got a call on my life. You know, it's, it's like the Apostle Paul said, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I wish every one of us could get that same kind of feeling. Woe is me if I reach not the lost. Woe is me if I don't tell somebody about Jesus. Woe is me if I don't invite somebody to church. Woe is me. This is what real reproduction is all about. It's what it's all about. In fact, I want you to think about something here for just a minute. I want you to think about the primary purpose of creation. I want you to think about how God designed all of nature. Because when you think about it, the most important reason why God created every living thing the way He did was for the purpose of reproduction. Genesis chapter 1 verse 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth let grass. Let the earth bring forth grass. The herb yielding seed. Wait a minute. It's got to yield Seed. Right. To the very grass, I want it to reproduce. Right. Right. Read. And the fruit tree the yielding fruit, tree. fruit after yielding his kind. After yielding more fruit after his kind. Whose seed, Whose is, in seed is in itself. On the earth, and it was so. Everything God creates. Go down to verses 21 and 22. 
And God created great whales, great whales. and every living creature, every living that, moveth, creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly. Yes. After their kind. Yes. And every winged fowl after his kind. Yes. And God saw that it was good. Yes. And God blessed and them. And God blessed them. Saying, be saying, fruitful. Be fruitful. And multiply. And multiply. And fill the waters of the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth. I didn't put you down there so you could enjoy the deep blue sea. I put you down there to reproduce. I didn't put the birds in the air so they could sing pretty songs. Amen. To either uh, entertain or annoy us in the mornings. That's not why they're there. He put them there to reproduce. Every animal, every insect, everything that God put on the face of the earth, He did it with a purpose. You gotta reproduce. You gotta reproduce. You gotta reproduce. Even when we get down to man, Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them. God said unto them, and be fruitful. God said to them, to man, God said, be fruitful. Be fruitful. And multiply. And multiply. And replenish and the replenish earth. And replenish the and earth. And subdue it. Yes. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the yes. air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Yes, but the first thing he says to them, before he even gives them a commandment not to eat of the tree of life, of knowledge of good and evil, I'm sorry. Before he even gives them the commandment to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before he ever establishes the first holiness standard. He first tells them, reproduce. Reproduce. I'm, I'm telling you tonight that the ultimate Design of God in maturity is reproduction. That's the ultimate design of God in maturity. Now, that, that kind of explains a verse that a lot of people don't understand. I'm going to try to explain it to you tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Okay, now I want you to hang on to that. Because I want to give everybody time to turn there. We, I, I forgot we're not putting this on the wall, so you, you got to read it in your Bible. So I want to give you time to find First Timothy. It's right after second. I mean, right before Second Timothy. So, First um, Timothy, chapter two, verse fifteen. I want you to see this in your Bible. First Timothy two, verse fifteen. Read it again. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. He's talking about the woman. The woman shall be saved in childbearing. In childbearing. And now, is that in the Bible? That's in the Bible. Is that really in the Bible? Yes, sir. She'll be saved in childbearing. Read. If they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, this doesn't mean that a woman's soul is saved. By her having babies. What it means is that her purpose, her identity, her position within the family is saved. 
she was made, she was created to complement and reproduce her husband and herself. That's why God made women. That's their role. That's their purpose. And that purpose and that role and that identity is saved when she reproduces. Now, we understand. That the Apostle Paul is the one who made the comparison between the relationship of a husband and wife and the relationship of Christ and the church. And if we can make the spiritual application tonight, and I believe that we can, in the natural realm, the woman's position and identity is saved through reproduction. That applies then to the bride of Christ. Our position, our role, our identity is to reproduce our husband. Well, it's gotten quiet on me all of a sudden. I feel what I'm telling you tonight, church. We've got a job. We've got a role to play. We've got a, we, we've got a purpose. We've got to get out there and reach this world. Now, now look, this is not just limited to women, so don't even try to think that. You go back into the Old Testament. I won't read the scripture, but, but if you want to write it down, you want to make notes, Deuteronomy 23 and 1, uh, in Old Testament times, a man who was unable to reproduce was not allowed to even enter the congregation of the Lord if he could not reproduce. I'm telling you, God was establishing some principles. I put you on this earth to reproduce. And the spiritual is typified by the natural. Are you hearing me? Our job, our purpose, our role, our identity as the church. We want to be a part of the kingdom of God. Then we've got an obligation to do everything we can do to reach this world. We've got to get out there. We've got to care about the lost. have a lot of time and I've got to hurry I've still got a lot of notes in front of me and I've got to finish this lesson tonight I don't want to get too sidetracked so I'm going to try to stay with my notes I'm, there's other things I'm, I'm thinking right now about the whole discussion we had last night with the woman at the well and Jesus shutting down a revival to go see one woman and, and, and what that really meant and what that really involved I don't have time to go into that tonight but I'm telling you we've got to get that same kind of mentality We've got to get that same kind of mentality. You need to put up with some nonsense on your job if you can win a soul while you're there. Well, maybe you're not happy with the neighborhood you're living in. 
But maybe God put you there because there's a hungry soul right there. You ever just suddenly find yourself at a store you never shop at? You think, why in the world did I do this? Is it possible that God sent you there because somebody else is there? That's summer fruit right now. And if we don't reach them right now, we're not going to reach them. Jesus, help us. I'm trying to hurry here. Let's, let's, uh, why Paul said the woman shall be saved in childbearing. Her purpose, her identity, her position is saved through giving birth. Deuteronomy 23.1 teaches that in Old Testament times, a man who could not reproduce was not even allowed in the congregation. All right, so let's talk about the Great Commission here for just a few moments. The summation, the summation of the Great Commission is simply this. Go and make disciples who will go and make disciples. No, I did not repeat myself. I said, you go and make disciples who will then in turn go and make disciples. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. I've talked about this when I've presented the vision uh, to the church. I talk about this particular passage of Scripture, but let's take a few minutes to look at it again here very quickly. I'll try to go through this. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. All right. Uh, go ahead and read Mark 16, if you would. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Read that again, because that's also the Great Commission. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, I, I want you to notice, I want you to notice here, I want you to notice some things about this phrase, and you'll see I did not put the whole verse on here. But I want you to notice some things that are here when he says, Go ye, go ye, go ye, go. And he says, teach. And he says, baptize. And he says, Teach. This is the basic teaching as I see it of the Great Commission. Notice the verbs of these verses. The first one is go. That's our first obligation. Go. Everyone say go. We've got to go. We, we, that, that means to go where they are. It doesn't mean to put up a shingle in your office and say, if anybody wants to get saved, inquire within. It means you look them up. You track them down. You go where they are. You don't sit in your house with a fishing pole. And your tackle box. And the most expensive and effective lure. 
and sit in your living room and say, here, fishy, fishy. Look at this shiny lure. Now, if you're going to catch fish, you've got to go where they are. Why do we think that we can just sit in the church and wait for souls to come to us? We are to be fishers of men. We can't just sit here and say, God, send them. God, send them. God, send them. God's saying, you go get them. Go get them. Go get them. Go. And then the second verb is teach. Mark, in his gospel, he says, preach. Go into all the world and preach. So if you're a preacher, preach. If you're not, that leaves you with the last option. Teach. I'm thankful for every Bible study that's being taught in the church right now. We talked about it in our last State of the Vision uh, address. But I want to see more Bible studies going on. I want this to be a church filled with Bible studies. I, I want to see the saints of God involved in teaching everybody they can teach. Now what are we saying when we say teach? Well, what we're saying is win them. Go out there and let them know what it takes to be saved. First go and then let them know. And then the next thing he says is baptize them. Well, if you'll let them know what it takes, this is going to be on them to make the next step. Get them baptized. But we're not finished just because they got baptized. In fact, they got to be baptized with water and with the Holy Ghost. But getting them baptized in water and baptized with the Holy Ghost is not the end. There's still another verb there. We got to keep on teaching. He said, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Now, what did he command them? To go teach and baptize. Now he says, this is when you've done that, when you've gone, you've taught them, you've got them baptized. Now the next thing is teach them to go and teach and baptize. Teach them to do what I just commanded you to do. So that they will teach their converts to go and teach and baptize. And then those converts are taught to go and teach and baptize. If I understand the Great Commission correctly, the first thing to teach somebody that you win is how to win somebody else. And so that's what I believe the Great Commission really is. When you boil it all down, that's what it's saying. I go find somebody. And when I find them, I tell them what it takes to be saved. And when I get them saved, I tell them now, let me tell you how to do what I just did. And you go find somebody else. And it should become a cycle. Amen. When you get somebody converted, 
get them equipped to win somebody else and then let them equip them to win somebody else and let them equip them to win somebody else. Is anybody hearing me? I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and we'll come back to this verse as well, but Galatians 6 and 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. This is interesting. In due season. Everyone say due season. In due season. You know, somehow we've got to come to the understanding that harvest comes in seasons. It's not always the time for harvest. Not always harvest time. Ask any farmer. You don't have a harvest 365 days a year. And so the key to success is to know when the harvest is ready and to act accordingly. How many times have we as a church gotten stirred up, gone out, knocked doors, prayed, etc. and seen no results whatsoever? Well, you want to know why? We should not be discouraged. We shouldn't be discouraged that we didn't see results. We should recognize it's seed time. It's planting time. We're going out this weekend. Well, brother, brother and sister Hilton and my wife and I are headed to Israel, but otherwise I'd be here. But the rest of the church, and, and I really am not doing this because of outreach this weekend, but it's a great time to do it. Uh, I just felt it. I have felt it all day today. Didn't even think about outreach until later. But, but, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you'll go out this weekend. So you may not find anybody while you're out there this weekend. You may not see anybody come to church this weekend. You don't get discouraged because what you're doing this weekend is planting seeds. And you don't plant seeds on Saturday and reap a harvest on Sunday. It just doesn't work that way. The harvest comes later. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, read. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. Do you see that? God said that while the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and there's going to be harvest time. And we've got to learn to distinguish the difference between seed time and harvest time. And we don't get discouraged because we're out here planting and not seeing a harvest. But I'm going to tell you this. We also have got to wake up one day and say, hey, right now the Spirit's moving. Right now the Holy Ghost is in the church. Right now is the time. This is harvest time. Now's not the time to plant. Now's the time to reap. Let's not miss the harvest time. Recognize that it's a time to plant. Harvest will come later. Any good farmer 
will realize that harvest time is not the time to rest. It's the time to work harder than ever. Harvest time is what you've been working for all season. You, you, you've planted. You, you've, you've done the weeding. You've, you've done the fertilizing. You've, you've fought the bugs, the insects. You've, you may have fought some times of drought. You've watered. You've, you've done everything to try to get a crop to grow. And when finally it's ripe, you don't go sit in the farmhouse and say, well, all right, come on in, corn. No. No, that's when the work really begins. That's when it really begins. Church harvest time is not the time to quit praying. It's not the time to let down our guard. Are you hearing me tonight? It's not the time to coast. Harvest time is when we ought to be out there like never before doing everything we can. That's the time to get them here. That's the time to get them here. Notice the example of Jesus' words concerning the need for laborers. Matthew chapter 9 verses 36 to 38. We read this in our text. Read it again. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now what, 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 what did it say in verse... Th- now, we, we know he said the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. But when did he say all that? Read verse 36 again. But when he saw, when the, he multitudes, saw the multitudes... Read... He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Why? Because they fainted. Because they fainted. And were scattered abroad. They were scattered. And they were as sheep that had no shepherd. Right. This is it. This is it. They're fainting. They're falling. The grain is falling. We got to get out there now. We can't wait. We can't sit back and rest on our laurels. We can't just stand inside the church and scream, Harvest time! Harvest time! No, no, no. We got to get out there and salvage them before they're lost. John chapter 4, verse 35. Say not ye. Say not ye. Say not ye. There are yet four months. And then come up the harvest. Behold, I say unto you. I say unto you. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. And look on the fields. And look on the fields. For they are white already to harvest. they are white already to harvest. What you don't understand. The disciples had just come back from Samaria. He would sent them into Sychar. Into the town of Samaria. And they came back with just a little bit of food to eat. But that there was a city that was hungry. You know how I know? Because while they were coming back wanting him to eat and trying to hurry him out of that place, there was a woman he'd been talking to that was running into the city saying, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. And you know what the Bible says about that city? The whole city came out to see him. Now understand this is the whole city that the disciples just went into. And they didn't bring one person back with them. Not one. 
And yet the whole city was hungry to hear him. The whole city. And it took a woman whose life was immoral. Whose, whose life was in shambles. It took a woman that nobody else wanted anything to do with. But she went back and brought the whole city to him. I just believe, Brother Self, I believe that while he's saying these words, he's looking above the disciples' heads and he's seeing a whole city coming up that hill. And he said, you're saying we still got four months till harvest and I'm saying look on the fields. Look on the fields. Look behind. You just came from this city and these people are so hungry and you didn't even realize and recognize the hunger in their hearts. They were waiting for somebody to point them in my direction and you did nothing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The harvest was ready. But the laborers weren't. That's verse 35, but let's read on verses 36 to 38. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto a life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. Now listen, listen, get the setting. There's a whole city coming up the hill to hear him. Are, are you looking at this in, in, in John chapter 4? Are you looking at this? Read, read that again. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, uh -huh. that both he that soweth and yeah. he that reapeth may rejoice together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And herein is that saying herein, true. And herein is that saying true. One soweth. One soweth. And another reapeth. And another reapeth. There's a revival we're about to have, boys. And you didn't sow one seed to get it. I sent you to reap that I wherein. I sent you to reap that. Wherein you bestowed wherein no labor. You bestowed no labor. Other men labored. But somebody else labored. And ye are entered into their labors. And you are about to enter into their labors. You are about to reap the benefit. Now, I don't believe that that one woman knocked on every door in the city. But she got enough people stirred up that there were others that were going throughout the city saying, Come on, man, come with me. Come with me. we got to go see this for ourselves. I'm just telling you, something was going on down in the city of Sychar in Samaria. Something was happening down there. And Jesus is rebuking his disciples. I sent you to do this, and you're going to reap. But you didn't sow anything, but you're still going to reap this harvest. Somebody sowed. Amen. You get the benefits. Hallelujah. Jesus plainly said, I sent you to reap. But he reprimanded them because they bestowed no labor. They went in there and bought their food and came right back out. Probably threw their money on the, on the counter. Probably didn't hardly even have a conversation because they're so prejudiced against these Samaritans. And all the while, the city is so hungry. 
that the entire city came out to tears. Even after the forming of the New Testament church, one of the greatest revivals that took place, took place in Samaria. Philip went down to Samaria. And they believed Philip. I got to close. Harvest time is coming. Church, I, I, I'm telling you the truth. This is not hype. And I'm telling you, we have a season of harvest that's presented to us right now. God's been patient with us. God's been waiting. He's been saying it over and over and over. He said it when Brother Savala was here. He said it Brother Herring was here. And yet we sit here. Are we really out there laboring like we should be right now? We are in that season of a harvest right now. We ought to be reaping what is out there. It's our job to get in tune with the Spirit and what the Spirit is trying to do so we can reap the harvest. Musicians come. I'm closing with this. Joel chapter 3. Verses 3 through 13. Listen to what he says. Joel 3, verses 3 through 13. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get ye down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Read that again. Read verse 13 again. Put ye in, in the sickle. Come on, brother Goff, read it with everything that's in you. Put read. ye in the sickle. Put ye in the sickle. For the harvest For is the ripe. Harvest is ripe. Come, get ye down. Come and get ye down. For the press is full. For the press is full. The fats overflowing. The fats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Yes. Multitudes, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. decision. For the day of the Lord is near. In the valley of decision. decision. I'm here to tell you tonight uh, there are multitudes in this city. There are multitudes around us uh, that stand in the valley of decision. But what decision they make uh, depends entirely on the effectiveness of the laborers. we got to get the sickle out. we got to do. Oh, God, help me tonight. We've got a city that's dying. We've got to reach them. Somebody pick up the sickle. Somebody get under a burden. Somebody feel my heartbeat tonight. Somebody hear the cry of the Lord of the harvest. Pray, pray, pray that there will be laborers. Pray that there will be laborers. Because multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Come on, let's reach out. Come on, let's reach out. 
Hallelujah. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, can anybody feel this burden tonight? I'm telling you, I feel like I'm going to explode on the inside. I don't know when I have felt this kind of unction. I don't know when I have felt this kind of an urgency. We got to pick up the sickle. We got to thrust it in. It's harvest time for the truth, church. It's harvest time for the truth, church. It's harvest time for the truth, church. But somebody's got to put in the sickle. Come on, everybody ought to be praying right now. Everybody ought to be praying.